As the postmodern movement surges through Western society, the very concept of innocence and guilt is dissolving before our very eyes, and with it will go the mutual agreement that holds our society together. That is righteousness, justice, and truth. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. As I said, the ideas, the concepts of, of innocence and guilt is dissolving from society. And that is because within this idea of postmodernism, there is no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as right or wrong. The only thing that there really is, if you were to probably oversimplify it a little bit, but not really, is power. It is what is your intersection of class or melanin in your skin? What, what sort of identity group are you a part of? It's critical race theory at its finest. It's no longer, is a person innocent or is a person guilty? It's no longer, did racism happen in this instance? It is, how did racism happen? It's no longer, is this person innocent or guilty? But it's, what is this person's identification? How do they identify? Who are they associated with? And from that, we can determine whether they're condemned or not condemned. It's not about innocent or guilty. It's about condemned or not condemned. It is about whether you should still be able to remain a part of society or should we send you far off to a re-education camp, a gulag, a concentration camp where we can, you know, try to redeem you, to, to pull you back into society. But if not, well, we have the solution for you. And this might seem far off and conspiratorial, but hey, it's happened within the last hundred years. Hundreds of millions of people have died at the hands of this ideology, at this very core belief system that it's not about innocence and guilt. It's, it's about the, the class that you are a part of, the color of your skin. And that's the, the main theme that we're going to be talking about today. But we can see it demonstrated very clearly in a, a very famous case, the Derek Chauvin case. And just a few days ago, it surfaced that juror number 52, Brandon Mitchell, Brandon Mitchell, the only African-American to sit on this jury was found to have perjured himself in front of the court during his jury selection. In jury selection, they were asked two questions, both of which Brandon answered no to. The first question was, did you or someone close to you participate in any of the demonstrations or marches against police brutality that took place in Minneapolis after George Floyd's death? He answered no. And that could very well be true. We don't actually know if he participated in any protests against police brutality in Minneapolis. But then here comes the second question. Other than what you have already described above, have you or anyone close to you participated in protests about police use of force or police brutality? Again, he answered no. But photos surfaced just this week of Brandon Mitchell in Washington, D.C., wearing a shirt that says, get your knee off our necks with 
the initials BLM, which stands for Black Lives Matter, and a hat that says Black Lives Matter on it with a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And this was in D.C. for the for Dr. Martin King Jr. parade back in August 28. It was an event to commemorate Martin Luther King and his I Have a Dream speech. And so Mitchell, and, and this could be, maybe it could be true. It's doubtful. Mitchell is saying, well, I didn't go to a Black Lives Rally, you know, anti-police protest. I was just going to celebrate Martin Luther King. But here he is with the shirt that says, get your knee off our neck. The question here that we're discussing is not whether Derek Chauvin was innocent or guilty, is innocent or guilty. He was found guilty by this jury. But the question is, was this jury partial or was this jury impartial? Did this jury come in with the belief already that because he was a police officer, that he was already guilty, already needing to be condemned. I mean, a lot of people on Twitter thought that. They, they all said, why are we even having a trial? We all, we all saw the video. We all saw what happened. Yeah, we, we saw one, one video of one vantage point, but then as the story unfolded in the months after the event, we began to see that there's a lot more to the story than just one video. And what could have seemed like a cold, callous, cold-hearted, cold-blooded killer suffocating the life out of a person. It could have really been just a cop that was not amused that people were videoing him and he was just trying to do his job in an unemotional way. So I'm not arguing his guilt or his innocence here. But I am questioning, did he get a fair and impartial jury? Did he have a fair and impartial trial? You know, they say that justice is blind. It's a picture of justice, Lady Justice, with her, her, her eyes blindfolded, holding up a scale to, to weigh between the two parties. And it's this picture of saying justice is blind. Justice is not partial. It does not show partiality to the poor or to the rich. It does not show partiality to the beautiful or to the ugly. It does not show partiality to one who has power, to the one who is powerless. It does not show partiality between the color of one's skin. Justice is blind. And this is what we were, a lot of us were taught growing up in the 90s. It's don't see color, be colorblind. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King said. Don't judge people by the color of their skin, but the character of their heart, their countenance. Who are they? What do they do? Judge people by their actions, not their appearances, not their class, not who they're associated with. But that is all flipped on its head. Now it's, well, if you're saying that you're colorblind, well, that is, that is racism. You can't be colorblind. You need to see color. It's not, did racism happen? Did implicit bias happen. It's how did implicit bias happen? How did racism happen? And it's, it's not that it can go both ways. In critical race theory, which is what all this is all packed around, critical race theory, it's, it's how far are you down on the victim list? Are, do you have lots of intersections of victimality? Victimhood? Well, then great. You see the world more clearly and whatever you say, go. But if you're at the top of that, 
well, then it's not that you're guilty because there's no such thing as guilt or innocent or right or wrong or up or down in the postmodern world. It is all about power. And if you're, if you're of those who are possessing power over people, well, then you should be purged from society. Maybe we'll send you off to a, a gulag or a re-education camp or a concentration camp somewhere. And hopefully we can re-educate your mind and reinstitute you back into society, but that won't be likely. And so we'll have other methods of doing away with you. This is where this ideology leads. Now it might sound, it might sound very conspiratorial, but this is what has happened in history, even over the last hundred years. Hundreds of millions have lost their life to this ideology because they were of the wrong group, because they shook hands with the wrong person going down the road. So what happens to a society when we throw away guilt and innocence, when we throw away the justice system, when we say, mm, it's not really about justice, it's not really about guilt and innocence, it's the, the ends justify the means. And so if me lying to get on this jury so that I can spark change and I can be an activist and I can make sure that the right thing happens, well then, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just being a part of the system and I'm just doing what I need to do to see the outcome that I believe that needs to happen. Did this happen in this case? Well, here's a, a clip of Brandon Mitchell on his first interview, radio interview, where he said, quote, and you can hear him in this, get out there and, and spark some change. Get into these juries and spark change. So what, what does he mean exactly? Here is the clip. Brandon, before we wrap, many people don't like jury duty and probably wouldn't respond to the letter that you get in the mail. So what message would you leave to those about saying yes to jury duty? I mean, it's, it's important. If we want to see some change, we want to see some things going differently, we got to get out there and get into these avenues and get in these rooms yeah. um, to, to try to spark some change. And that's Absolutely. one of jury duty is one of the things. Jury duty, voting, all of those things are things we got to do. I'll give him, I'll give him this. Yes, if if you want to see something different happen in your society, you should become an active member in that society, in that civil system. You should go out and vote. You should participate in jury duty. But the, but the way he phrased it, maybe, maybe it's just the way he phrased it. You know, I'll give him a, maybe a little bit of benefit of the doubt, but I'm a little suspicious, especially because it seems to be that he perjured himself in front of the court line. But it seems to be that he said, if you want to see change, you got to get out there and you get it, get and get in jury duty and, and spark the change that you want to see. It's not coming in blind. It's not coming in with justice and saying, hey, be an active part of your community, be an upstanding part of your community and, and judge rightly and engage. It's saying, we need, if you need to spark change, you need to be the change that you want to see. You need to be an activist in the jury box. The jury box is not a place for activism. It's a place for impartiality. The jury box and deciding on someone's fate, deciding whether someone's innocent or guilty is not based on your ideology, but it should be based on the merits of the case. But I get this feeling, and I, maybe it's not substantiated, but I get this feeling 
that the left, that the, the, the progressives, that the BLM almost want Derek Chauvin to be found innocent. They almost wanted him to walk. Because if he did, well, then the cities would burn. And this is a question that me and my friends have been kicking around back and forth. It's, well, do we let one man burn? Do we let Derek Chauvin burn? Maybe justly, maybe unjustly. But in, in at least not having a fair trial, an impartial jury, do we let him burn so that the cities of America don't burn? Do we bow to the mob? And do we, do we give up the cornerstones of our society, the fabric of mutual agreement that says we're going to presume people are innocent until proven guilty? We're not going to have show trials. We're not going to have kangaroo courts. We're not just going to go through the motions to find someone guilty, but we're going to actually look at the evidence and where that leads. Are we going to do away with all that to, to satisfy a mob? Or are we going to potentially have our cities burn again because we don't bow to the mob. And part of me would like to say, well, man, just let Derek, just let Derek eat this one. Just let's take one, like take one for the team, Derek. You know, you kind of, you kind of earned it yourself. Not very, not a very nice guy. Let's just save the cities. And that seems to be what, what is being said. But you would think, but it seems as though that the left isn't actually happy. They actually wanted Derek to be found innocent. Why? Because then it proves that the system doesn't work. We just, we just played this clip just a couple weeks ago of AOC saying that this isn't justice. If, if you're getting the verdict that you have been demanding for and fighting for and wanting and all of a sudden you say, well, actually, wait, no, 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 this isn't justice. It makes you think that, wait, uh, it's not about justice. It's not about whether this person's innocent or guilty. It's about how can we tear down the entire system altogether because the entire system doesn't work. Here's AOC again. So, no, this verdict is not justice. Frankly, I don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there. It wasn't just Derek Chauvin. And I also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working, working because it's not working. And that's the thing. This is where it comes down to, even in, in Brandon Mitchell's point of, if, if you want to see change, you have to go out and be an activist in the jury room. It, it seems to imply that, well, the system, the system of, of a jury, it's not working. We need to get people in there to push an agenda. That's what it, it sounds like. And so they're appealing this. Derek Chauvin and his lawyers are appealing it on a number of counts. One, the trial was done too close to home. Can you have a, a fair and impartial trial, an impartial jury when it's done, a, a, such a public case is done in the location? Second, the city actually paid off five day, days after selecting the jury. The city of Minneapolis paid off the family of George Floyd in a $27 million settlement that already says to the jury, the city has found 
Derek Chauvin guilty. The, the city has found that he was liable. He's already guilty before the trial even started. Does that not color and communicate to the jury that, hmm, this doesn't seem to be impartial, but there's already an expectation. When you know that cities have burned over this, what's going to happen if you go the wrong way? And then the last point, of course, that jurors lied about being at protests, wearing shirts that are are having quotes directly related to George Floyd, get your knee off our neck, and BLM. If you were in that chair, if you were a police officer, if, if you were anyone, and you found out that your jury, the people that were selected to, to weigh whether you're innocent or guilty, already believe that just because of your identity group, just because of the color of your skin or the color of your hair, the job that you held, the position that you held, that you're guilty by association, you're guilty because of the system that you're in, would you feel like that is a fair trial? Would you feel like that is justice? Even if you were, were guilty, even if a person is guilty, even if Derek is really guilty of all those three crimes, all those three counts of murder, is this justice? Is this a, a carrying forth of, of a justice system that, that you or I would want to live in? Because what it implies at the root of it all, the push that's happening at the root of it all is to do away with guilt and innocence. And this is the agenda of, of postmodern progressivists. It's there is no such thing. There is no such thing as innocence or guilt. There is no such thing as good and evil. There is no such thing as right or wrong. It's all, it's all relative. And it all depends on power. Now, I've been reading this book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, The Gulag Archipelago, and it's a, a three-volume series uh, of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's time in the gulags. The gulags happened in the USSR in the 1930s and onwards under Soviet reign and rule of Stalin. And the gulags were concentration camps that were scattered across Siberia that people were just swept up to, swept up and, and arrested and, and thrown in jail for 10, 20, 30 years life execution um, without any jury, without any trial. There were some show trials, but really, as I've started reading this series, and it's, it's a stories from his time and taking other real accounts, other people's stories of what happened, and he compiles it into these three volumes. And it's quite unbelievable hearing that people were just arrested and, and given 20 years in jail without any papers, without any evidence, without anything. People would be arrested under suspicion of espionage, unproven suspicion of espionage. There's stories of, of people being arrested because they, they were the first to stop clapping. There's a, a famous story of a, a standing ovation. And everyone's in the rooms clapping for 
the politicians on stage, the party leaders on stage. And the standing ovation lasted five, six, seven minutes. Everyone kept on clapping and looking at each other. Seven minutes, eight, nine. I believe it lasted about 12 minutes until finally one person stopped clapping and sat down. Guess what happened? The next day, he was arrested. They put him up on some other charges. Didn't matter. Gave him eight years. And after they sentenced him, again, not in front of any, any trial, not in front of any judge. It's just the, you get arrested, get swept up by the secret police, and you get shipped off and you're never heard from again. <laughs> when they arrested him and they shipped him off, the, the last thing they said for him before they, they threw him in the jail was never be the first one to stop clapping. And this is why people would get arrested. So there's a couple passages that I felt were, were appropriate to read. Should we wrap it all up and simply say that they arrested the innocent? But we admit saying that the very concept of guilt had been repealed by the proletariat revolution and at the beginning of the 30s was defined as rightist opportunism. So we can't even discuss these out-of-date concepts, guilt and innocence. This was Alexandra was saying here. It's we can't even discuss guilt and innocence. When when you read these stories of hundreds of thousands, millions of people getting arrested for literally no reason, absolutely zero reason, just swept up in the middle of the night, never heard from again, slapped with 10 years and thrown away. You, you read these stories. I read these stories and I think, like, how, how is this even possible? But when you realize that guilt and innocence has gone out the window, it's what party do you align with? And it's oftentimes the people who were aligned with the party, who were aligned with the socialist agenda, who said the wrong thing. They were thrown in jail to be, as, as aggravators. Here's a story. Another peasant with six children met a different fate. The previous peasant complained because they weren't getting paid and they weren't working hard enough. So because they weren't working hard enough, they got thrown in prison. But here's one that met a different fate. Because he had six mouths to feed, he devoted himself wholeheartedly to collective farm work and kept hoping he would get some return for his labor. And he did. They awarded him with a decoration. They awarded it at a special assembly, made speeches. In his reply, the peasant got carried away. He said, now, if only I could have a sack of flour instead of this decoration, couldn't I somehow? A wolf-like laugh rocked through the hall, and the newly decorated hero went off to exile, together with all six of those dependent mouths. This is what would happen. You laugh at the wrong joke. You tell a joke. You're, you're the prime example of heroism, of, of fighting for, for the motherland. But you want something in return and you get thrown in jail because there's no such thing as guilt or innocence. It's just, oh, you have a problem with the state? Okay, well, you can leave. Here's another story. In 1938, the chairman of the city executive committee, his first deputy and department chiefs, 
and their assistants and all their chief accountants, all the chief economists were arrested. New ones were appointed in their places. Two months passed and the arrest began again. The chairman, the deputy, all 11 department chiefs, all the chief accountants, all the chief economists. The only people left at liberty were ordinary accountants, stenographers, chairwomen, and messengers. This is what would happen. They would just go through cycle after cycle. So you're not even safe if you, if you join the woke movement. You're not safe if you join in the protest. You're not safe if you adopt the ideology and you go along with, with the postmodern rhetoric. You're not safe because they will eat you at some point. They eat their own. And Stalin was notorious for doing away with the people who are most loyal and closest to him because he distrusted them the most. Because it had nothing to do with guilt or innocence. It had everything to do with power. And everything was seen through a lens of who are you associated with? Who do you know? Who do you have connections with? There's a, another story here about a man who would turn off the radio when they would read letters that at the end of the program praising Stalin. It would go on for minutes on end. He got reported by his neighbor for being a, a dissonance, for turning off the radio before the program ended. Well, of course, he went to jail for eight years. But what happened to the neighbor who reported him? Well, he also got swept up and went to jail. Why? Because they were neighbors. They were associated. If you shook hands with the wrong person on the street who was about to get arrested, you would get arrested too and thrown away. Why? Because you're associated. It has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. It has to do with your identity, the class that you're a part of, who you know, who you're connected with. And this is what happens when justice is thrown out the window, when we no longer are looking at individuals based on their actions and judging them based on their merits, but we're judging them based on the color of their skin. I think there's a word for that. Yes, it's called racism. It's called classism. And if we do not defend ourselves against this, we will fall prey to it. Just as millions fell prey to it in the USSR. Now, if this is a topic that you want to learn more about, if you want to grow and if you want to see your community grow in this, I encourage you to share this with a couple colleagues, a couple friends, and talk about this amongst one another. Have a healthy, lively debate. It will cause your learning to grow so much more as you soak in these concepts. And if you have any questions for me about this, please WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. And I would love to answer your questions here on your show. If on the show, if you ask a stupid enough question, I will give a stupid enough answer because stupid answers and stupid questions are the way that we actually learn the most. But don't go away. We have a great closing quote for our Weaver and Loom segment that I believe when, when I heard this quote, it just struck my heart so much. And it's like, this is an important, a foundation stone uh, to understand how to step into our, our purpose, how to find our purpose, how to find that place of meaning for our life. So don't go away. 
We will be right back with our Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. Today's quote is actually not so ancient, but the wisdom definitely is ancient. It comes from ancient fables and mythology from the one and only Jordan Peterson, who was recently on the Ben Shapiro Sunday special. And this is where that clip comes from, Jordan Peterson. There isn't anything that would actually make you feel more engaged in your life than taking the opportunity to take the best in someone else and encourage that development. What if that is what we're actually like? I think that is what we're like. I believe that. And I see it. I see it happening all over. And so that's not power, eh? That's, if our hierarchies are actually based on that most fundamentally, and the best people I've seen who are very successful in their hierarchies are people who take their mentoring, for example, not only with dead seriousness, but take tremendous pleasure in it. Well, what if that's the operative principle? What if the postmodern critique of hierarchy is so wrong that it's actually the opposite? Now, that doesn't mean it can't be corrupted. Institutions get corrupted by deceit and by power all the time. But that doesn't mean that that's their central essence. So I tell young people, you know, maybe responsibility. That's where you'll find what you need, what you desperately need. And I don't say that because I'm shaking a stick at them. I'm saying that because that looks to me like it might be the case. Responsibility, structure, hierarchy, mentorship. Uh, just hearing Jordan Peterson, Peterson say how it's when we are in a place in someone else's life where we're able to expand and pull out the best in them, where we're able to make someone else great, where our lives are meant as a service to other people so that they can become successful. That's what mentorship is about. It's in that place that we find meaning. And he was talking about the, the hierarchy. And in our generation, millennial and Generation Z, we're, we're so against this structure. We're so against hierarchy. We want to be free. We want freedom. But the more that we press into freedom, the more that we have no responsibilities, the more that we're a free bird with no structure, the more aimless and nihilistic we become, the more, the more we begin to search for who we are and our identity because we're not grounded in society. We're not connected in a structure. And so for us, I came away from this quote, I came away from this clip of Jordan Peterson, thinking about how that's what I want in my life. That's what I look for in my life. I look for people that I can place myself under, that I can grow in their shade. I look for people I can emulate to say, okay, you, you've done it. You've gotten there. You've figured something out that I haven't figured out. How can, I, how can I learn under you? How can I sit underneath your tutelage? How can I be mentored by you? How can I, I let your teaching 
mold and form my, my life and discipline my life so that I can become something great. And that comes through that discipline, that comes through that structure, that comes through that hierarchy, that comes through, through structure that is right and wrong, that, that postmodernism hates so much, that structure that postmodernism despises so much, that so many of us, we want this sense of freedom, not understanding that freedom comes from submitting, that freedom comes from being in a place where we know the bounds and domains of our personal life. And we see it with our kids all the time. When we teach our kids we're, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, how to, how to greet people and how not to greet people, how to, what they can touch in a room, what they can't, what's expected of them, their, bound, their boundaries, they flourish, they become filled with joy. But when we slack on that and we don't have that structure and a hierarchy in place where they don't know, and they're insecure in that power struggle, don't, don't know if they can trust themselves, if they're safe underneath us, and that we are in control and, and know what is best and can give them wisdom and guidance. Now, our, our kids are small. As Of course, as you grow older, that role in the relationship changes, and, and you begin to transfer more and more power over them and the parent-child relationship grows. But it's when we find that place of, of, of mentorship, of discipline, of being bound and constrained, those constraints are the things that open up a sense of meaning and freedom. And when we pour our lives out to serve other people, to see other people successful, that's where we find those deep senses of meaning. And I write about that in my book, Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this book in a time of my life where I was drifting. So I wrote this book really as a manifesto to myself, and I think about these concepts every day. And so if you are looking to grow in disciplining your life, I strongly suggest my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting. And finally, let us be people who walk in our purpose to grow and impact the people around us. Let us be people who hold on to truth that we might own our futures.